thank you thank you very much uh for for having me uh yet again hello and welcome to obehi podcast i'm your host obehi a14 and i strongly believe that everyone has a story to share now let's get started with this episode this uh, wonderful platform where we engage on important issues that are very pertinent and important to the to the african people uh, on the world scale and um, in general issues that do affect um black people african people and all the other nationalities that we do find on the african continent and uh, and across the world um I'm Leslie Marisa and um, I'm, I'm a historian, very much interested in the, the, the events that take place on the world scale, on the continental scale, and on the broader regional and cultural platforms. You know, um, the issues that do affect the African nation by virtue of having stayed on the continent for a long time, by virtue of having um, uh, being born on the continent itself. Um, I do love history and I love looking at the past and being able to, to make sure that the past shapes our current and the future. So I'm very much interested in African history, African politics, and the dynamics that, we, that are involved on the economic scale, on the um, educational scale. I'm an educator myself and a scientist as well. So that's basically, that describes me. I'm quite dynamic in, a, in quite a number of issues, but um, of course, I'm, I'm very much hinged and more steeped in the history of the African people. Thank you very much for that, uh, Dr. Leslie. Today, of course, we are talking of uh, somebody that is very important um, in African history in terms of uh, revolution and the and the dignity of the African people, the African person, and the African human right, as it were. So we are talking of the person of Steve Biko. Uh, now, can you give us a short background of who this individual is in Africa? Because we are talking about his life and legacy. In, indeed, uh, Steve Biko is, is an icon, um, an icon in the, in the, in, in, in the, on the African continent in general, and in the South African context in particular. He is one of the people that stood and came up with a philosophy and propagated a philosophy. Not that he was the, um, the inventor of the philosophy itself, no, but he was the pro proponent, the major proponent of that philosophy in the, on the African, South African context um, under the apartheid regime. He was a man and he is a man that we do remember for his boldness, for his uh, uh, steadfastness and for his for his bravery in trying to fight a system that was uh, very much oppressive, a system that was segregatory, a system that underprivileged, systematically speaking, so the African natives. He he was born in the in in the Eastern Cape that we know today as the Eastern Cape uh, in South Africa uh, on the 18th of December. And um, 1946, uh, his father uh, was was a police officer in the in the in the South African apartheid regime, who later on became 
a, 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 a government to pay. Um, and his, his, his mother was uh, Alice Nogozola, and uh, his father was Matthew Mzina Biko. Uh, Steve Biko grew up in the Eastern Cape in a, in a, in a, in a place, in a closer village, where he could see and experience the, the very experiences of a native black African who was very much segregated, who was very much despised, whose dignity had been taken away. So he experienced these things firsthand from his childhood. And I think in a way that um, that is what really shaped him to later on become the man that he became. He was a brilliant, brilliant young, young person, brilliant scholar, um, and, and later on grew to be one of the greatest icons that we can ever talk of in the South African context when it comes to um, the, the, the restoration of the dignity of the African person, uh, the respect of the African person, and the, the, the simple respect of the African native on their African soil. Um, so Steve Biko is, was a nationalist, a socialist, but indeed he was a person who came from a background that was deprived, segregated, oppressed, systematically so, um, by a system, an evil system, a colonial system, and an imposed system. What do we know about the formation of Steve Biko? I mean, he now getting education, getting formed as an individual. Okay, he have experienced uh, the racism, the discrimination, of the citizens of a country, you know, some other people came to the to the land, and they turned the people of the land into sort of mini slave, and treated them, taking away their right. So he have seen this. He didn't need to be told about this, but for him to stand up and able to uh, be who he became, he needed some formation, he needed some training. Is there anything that you can tell us about that? Yeah, and, and indeed. Indeed, I think I think um, when you when you get to experience um, segregation and oppression um, in in real in real time and in real terms, um, you that the system on its own shapes your your mentality, shapes the way you think. Remember, he, he was raised in a poor cross-up family, and he grew up in a township. So by virtue of him growing up in a township, it means that he grew up in a, in, in a location where his parents, his grandparents, his descendants had been forcibly placed by the, uh, the, the land um, act of the oppressive colonial individuals who had arrived uh, on, on, on the South African on the tip of the African continent in 1652. So we, we have colonialists who came in, they dispossessed his people, they moved people from their natural land, and as long as your natural resource is possibly taken away from you, you are deprived of your economic independence, you are deprived of your financial independence, you are deprived of your dignity, you are deprived of your human rights, you are systematically dispossessed 
systematically disenfranchised, systematically oppressed, so to speak. So you grew, you grew up in a township. The conditions that were prevalent in the townships, they were anti-family, anti-blacks, anti-development in, in essence and in variety, in word and in deed. And, and he grew up in one of the, um, uh, uh, he, he had to attend a Bantustan education an education that was 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 very much oppressive, segregation in nature, segregative in nature, oppressive colonial, meant to divert and shape the African mindset in a particular in a particular path, which made sure that the African dignity was eroded from their minds, whilst the white colonial mindset was being elevated in the process. That everything European is divine, everything European is holy anything that is african and native in nature is is, is 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 very much inferior so you grow up in that kind of scenario so to speak and the experience itself shapes the mentality the mindset the philosophy and by virtue of him being a brilliant student he had to be enrolled in, in university at the university of natal to study medicine when he got there at the university you could see See, the system was very much anti-black, anti the system was very much anti-African, the system was very much anti-natives, pro-European, pro-white, and very much a segregative in nature, be it the medium of instruction, be it the system of education, they could not mingle, the dominant, domineering of the white person over the black person, by virtue of them being having less uh, pigmentation in, in, their, in, their, in their skin tone, that would definitely result in them having more privileges. So this is the kind of system that he had to, to, to go through. This is what he had to experience on a day-to-day -day basis, be it in the halls of residence, be it in the, in the cafeteria, be it in, the, in, in this classroom itself, be it in the laboratory. He had to experience all this, be it in class. So the lecturers were very much biased and very much um, biased against him and biased towards the European students, not by virtue of them being good, not by virtue of them being brilliant, but by virtue of them having a skin tone that is less melanin, by virtue of them having long hair, which, which is not African in nature. So having, the, having by virtue of them having a pointed nose. So those are the kind of things that he had to go through in his educational system. And you would find that the very moment that he got into varsity, he began to, to get to a platform, to get to have a platform whereby he could express his discomfort, express his dismay uh, over the, the, the system, not the system that he had grown up in, which was very much segregatory, the system that he was now in, uh, exposed to that was supposed to train him to be a medical doctor, but was very much militant, militantly against his, 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 his brilliance, against his success. That would mean that he had to invest more for him to be successful uh, compared to his white counterparts that he was studying with. So this in his own shaped, you know, the philosophy that we find up him having and him propagating, him pushing a, a later on in his early life. All right. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. That is very important. We're trying to understand 
the story of a man, uh, a man who, of course, look at the society, see all the injustice, see all the things that were being done to his people and to him uh, that he didn't like, and he decided to take action. Uh, I think that is what every man needs to do. If you, there is something you don't like, you need to act. You cannot keep quiet. Because by keeping quiet, Indeed. you are on the part of the oppressor. Any mm -hmm. person in the world is supposed to do this, wherever you are. If there is a system that is unjust, you cannot keep quiet in it. So that is already a frame of mind that we are beginning to understand. But at what point did Steve Biko actually started his activism? That we can say, okay, he's an activist. Apart from all the things that he has seen from his childhood, now he has gone to school, now he understands the system. At what point did he actually become a full-scale activist? In 1966, uh, he joined uh, the University of Natal, uh, where he had been enrolled to, to study medicine. So he wanted to be a medical doctor. Uh, at that particular point in time, he then joined... Uh, the National Union of South African Students, NUSAS, which, which was composed of uh, uh, black native African students as well as white liberal students. Uh, white liberal students, these were white students who were very much against the apartheid movement. Uh, and then uh, we, we had the, the, the black native students who were also uh, against the apartheid government. But uh, he became part, he became began to be part of that system. He joined that uh, student's union and the student union had, had a certain philosophy that it had, that it followed and that it pursued. But, but you, you find that um, it's, it's, it, it, at that very moment, it, it, is, it becomes pertinent for me to quote one of the very famous quotes by Steve Biko himself, where he said, the most potent weapon in, in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. In other words, Steve Biko understood that it is not a physical battle that he was fighting when he joined uh, the student union, the student movement, or the student activ activism that he began to be part of. He understood that this started in the mindset, the consciousness, the ideology, because the ideology is the one that shapes the activism. The ideology is the one that shapes the, the political frame of one's, of one, one's political path. The ideology is the one that shapes the activities, shapes the path, shapes the agenda. So he understood that for, 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 for him having had the privilege at least to, to, be, to be in, a, in a, teacher of a, a higher teacher institution, he was more privileged to make sure that he takes part, he pushes for the emancipation of his fellow black Africans who were oppressed, that is beginning from the mindset itself, from the ideology itself. So 1966 was more of the turning point um, because I think at that particular moment, he began to fully experience, actively experience, practically experience the segregation, the racism and the apartheid that was systemized, institutionalized, both in government, both in business, both in industry, and also in the educational system that was meant to under-educate the native, whilst upholding and pushing and making sure that it sustains white privilege, uh, uh, the dominance of the white minority over the majority 
bit black 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 natives who were by the way the stakeholders and the stockholders of their land by virtue of being the owners of the land that itself so 1966 became part of it and then uh, you find that the the nuisance that he was part of um was 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 very much interesting because you later on see that Steve Biko had to move out to resign from NUSAS and then go and form uh, what was named uh, SASO, that is the South African Students Organization, by by virtue of him saying, Tim, he realized that they were white liberals. The white liberals who were in, in NUSAS were, were fighting against a system that was oppressive in nature, but their fight was not his fight. There, there was this this ideological uh, dissonance that, that, that was you know, that was there because the white liberals were fighting for the co-option of the, of, of the black natives into an oppressive, um, illegal, and an and, and equal system. He was fighting for the total emancipation of the black natives from the white dominance. So you find that the white liberals were part of NUSAS. As, as long as, in as much as they were fighting the apartheid system, they also wanted to dominate the agenda of the black natives. So, so he was against the dominance of the white people by, by the black natives in, in essence, even though they had a common goal. He was saying, we are not fighting for, for co-option. We are not fight, fighting for a space in, in, in an oppressive system, but we are fighting for the restoration of the dignity of the African person, the respect of the rights of the African native we are fighting for the native to be empowered, to be freed totally, that is economically, financially, politically, and in terms of ownership of the means of production, he was fighting for the redistribution of the land back to the owners of the land itself. So Steve Biko is an interesting character who really uh, did much of the groundwork Later on, termed, um, uh, to later on, Nelson Mandela himself says Steve Biko is the one who lit the spark that caused a failed fire across South Africa in terms of the of the political consciousness of the black consciousness and um, uh, the political realization by the natives that we indeed we need to confront the system because you find that. Uh, by the time Steve Biko gets into the onto the student activism activist platform, the natives were very much scared to be part of the political discourse of the time because of the of the deterrent nature of the of the settler oppressive white apartheid regime. They were very brutal in nature, very brutal in their approach, and 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 very much segregatory in their approach in everything that they did. They were brutal against the natives, cruel, so to speak, evil. Colors. <laughs> so th this is the legacy that we find um, having uh, uh, been set up, having been left by, by, by Europeans who came to colonize Africa. They were brutal, evil, and colors, and yet they claim to be the propo proponents and the propagators of human rights, when in effect they, 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 they suspended the rights of the black natives during the times of Steve Biko. And we have the likes of Steve Biko who had to stand as students uh, primarily and later on as national activists on the, on, the, on, the, on the South African national scale to fight that oppressive system. 
that white dominance and, 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 and to make sure that the, the black natives themselves have that black pride, they are accorded and respected and viewed as fellow human beings because they have these inalienable rights that are God given, that by virtue of them being humans, they have their rights which must be respected by whomsoever, whoever, and whenever and wherever. I want you to help me clarify one thing here. Yeah, both in the case of Nancy Mandela in the ANC uh, movement, called the Arm Movement at the time, and also in the case of Steve Biko, because many people, uh, particularly in the West, would tag them as terrorists, as if they, they just wanted to destroy black people in South Africa. Uh, sorry, white people in South Africa. Uh, but nobody ever make any attempt to understand that they are fighting unjust system. They are fighting injustice. And that perhaps what they wanted is not to kill the white people, even though they have every reason to do that. But they needed a just society, society where everybody was going to be treated equally. I want you to expand a bit on that, please. Yeah, indeed, in, in the context of uh, Steve Biko himself, you know that he had white friends. Steve Biko had a lot of white friends, um, and 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 he was very much against the anti-white hatred. He was very much against that. He was not against white, white or white people as they are, as human beings, but he was against whiteness. He was against the, the propagation of whiteness, white superiority. Uh, you, you, you would also need to understand that um, the, the, the colonialists came up, set up systems, branded uh, nationalists. Steve Vick was one such a nationalist. He was a socialist. Um, they, they were branded as um, terrorists, as you allude to, uh, by virtue of them calling for a simple thing for white fellow humans to accord and respect and view them as fellow human beings. I, I don't think that was too much to ask for. And, and, and for one to then brand one who's asking for equal treatment as a terrorist smacks of white, white hypocrisy. We, we find that being propagated everywhere. If as long as any African government tries to make redress of the colonial injustices, you you find that the same Europeans, the same EU, the the likes of EU, NATO, and the US, they they then term these people terrorists and uh, human rights violators. In other words, one one thing that is prevalent, the trend that we commonly see is that what is regarded as human rights by the EU, by, by, by the United States, and by white dominant racist whites is, is, Afri is, is, is white, white rights. Any, any white person is regarded as more superior to a black person. And we see that being propagated by what we call coconuts or clever blacks, clever blacks today, or colonial clicks, so to speak. Uh, these so-called landed blacks uh, who also claim the same and, and, and try to wink at the colonial injustices and say, let bygones be bygones. But if, if, if the system is going to be perpetuating white privilege, it, it, it means that same system is continuing to perpetuate black oppression. Uh, 
And it, if, if we indeed we need to respect human rights, we must start where the human rights were violated in the first place. And that was when the land was called, the land was dispossessed from the right owners by force, use of force, by the way, brutal force, by the way. And 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 these are the systems that we see being upheld today. And 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 now, by virtue of having so-called political independence, we have called let spades, let 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 the bygones be bygones. It must not be misconstrued for being naive. Uh, and 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 for 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 not being wise or not being intelligent on the part of the of the African native, it simply seems and it serves to show that black natives are not violent, they are not segregatory, they 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 are benevolent, and, and we are very much humane. The spirit of Ubuntu that, that is, if you if you may please to say so in the African context. In other words, we regard whites as fellow human beings, but the injustices of the past must be corrected and, and redressed. And I don't think that would be uh, tantamount to us being racist, us being anti-white. No, we are simply saying, let those injustices be addressed. Let there be equal distribution of the, of the resources, be it them land, natural, or even industrial. So we need to have that equality and not perpetuate a system that privilege, privileges a few. Because you see, land has been commodified, land has been um, um, taken into the Bill of Rights and it has been made uh, so-called property rights. Now, if you really want to remake the redress of the past, you are termed as being a violator of property rights. But what about the property rights of the native Africans when colonialism took place? Are they not important? Are they, are they less human in that context and more important when it comes and applies to our white counterparts today? So these are important discourses that we need to look at, that we need to, to really um, uh, uh, you know, pursue. If you look at the South African context at the, at the moment, what Steve Biko fought for and what the system and what we find now. South Africa is one of the most unequal countries in the world, but uh, they have the political independence, but the political independence without economic independence is no independence at all. That's true. That's true. It's only that it depends on from what lens are you see the reality. Because like you did Indeed. say, um, mm. when the European talk about justice, they are basically saying what uh, Dr. Ben had said, that they are talking of just this, not justice. Mm. Because justice <laughs> is supposed to be fair, and it's fair yes. all the time, and it's fair to everyone. But the European cannot take that. Because if it is actually justice that they want, and that is what Americans start for, stand for, it means it is wrong for you to go and take what does not belong to you in another man's land. How do you justify that? So we are never going to get justice. We are going to get just this. And when they also say that uh, a human right and the rest of it, I think you concluded there. That is where it's going to remain. That we Europeans, the West, are forcing everybody in the world to see the reality from their point of view. That, that is the only reality. 
And of course, that is not only wrong, but it's also dangerous to our collective human history and survival. Because human being, our history, our common existence is not based on one point of view. It's based on diverse point of view. We must break those one into it, otherwise that is going to be a catastrophe. Anyway, mm -hmm. we're not even going to take that issue today. Um, I'm looking at the person of Steve Batubiko. Um, let's look at a bit of his philosophy. How do you describe his philosophy? Sort of what guide his action, the principle? Help me with that. Yeah, his, 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 his philosophy was mostly guided by um, the respect of the, the dignity of the African person. By, I mean, physically, if you look at the African person, black is beautiful, was the slogan of the black conscious movement. So you find that when when he moved out of, when he resigned from NUSAS, he then uh, co-founded the South African Students Organization. And in, in, in his quest, in his, in his path, he opposed the anti-white hatred and had white friends in particular. So it's, it's very important that whenever we, we, we speak about white people, it's not um, that we are talking about anti uh, anti-whites, but not against white people. No, we're talking about an ideology, a philosophy that he pushed, um, the, the, the fight that he fought, the system that he tried to dismantle to make sure that um, the, the black natives are regarded as human beings and given and accorded that dignity, which is only natural, you know. And then uh, from the South African Students Organization, he went on to form what is known as the Black Conscious Movement. So the Black Conscious Movement had a slogan which they pushed, and the slogan was, Black is beautiful. My hair is beautiful as it is. My skin is beautiful as it is. The tone of my skin is beautiful. And, 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 and the skin color, my skin color is not a brain pigmentation. You look at me as I am, as a human being. Regard me for who I am and what I am capable of doing. Regard me on basis of my capabilities, not on the basis of my skin color, not on the basis of my um, on, on the and the type of the type of my hair, you know. And excuse me, this is what he was pushing in the Black Conscious Movement. That was the philosophy of the Black Conscious Movement, which later on formed the basis then for, for other movements to gain ground. So you find that the Black Conscious Movement, because it was an ideology, it, it became popular even with um, school-going kids. The learners themselves, it permeated the society. It became very popular. And that, that on its own, Initially, when he was pushing the black consciousness, you find that uh, the apartheid government uh, sort of supported him because they were segregation, segregatory in nature, and they wanted that separatist kind of um, uh, situation whereby there is distinction between races, distinction between uh, tribes, and they, 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 they tended to support it because it seemed to to be an all-blacks kind of movement, which was only allowing membership from the black community 
and never from, from the white liberals, uh, which were part of NUSAS before. So, but it later on gained traction. And when this philosophy gained traction in, in the South African communities, in the townships, and uh, in the schools, it, it became sort of, uh, to be, it started to be viewed as a subversive kind of movement by the apartheid regime. And um, they started to view him as a threat and they then started to try by all means to oppress that uh, mentality because it was the mentality that brought about that black pride, you know, that we are humans, we are equals, we are all both capable, but it's only that others are having more so-called success by virtue of them being privileged. And he was against that kind of system whereby a lot of African movements were trying to be part of a system, to be co-opted into the system, so to speak. He was not for the co-option. He was for a complete revolution, a complete regard of the African person as, as he is, that is, as they are having their rights being respected, having their person being secure, having the person of being an African, being not only secure, but only and but also sustained, but also educated, but also decolonized. In other words, would would would, would like to view it as he as, as him being a proponent of a decolonized mindset, so to speak. If you look at the current times, you see that the challenge that we have in Africa is is not um, political domination, it's not financial domination, it's not cultural domination, but it's a colonized mindset. So the colonized mindset, which he then referred to as the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor, is the mind of the oppressed. In other words, a colonized mindset ideal, uh, uh, has got an ideology uh, that regards certain individuals as more superior, superior to other individuals as being a design so by nature. You know, that's why you find that we have a lot of challenges now in Africa. We, 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 we don't think that Africa can come up with solutions to African problems. We, we need to, to be accredited in everything that we do by Europeans. We need to be accredited in whatever we do by Americans. We think that Africans cannot come up with something that is competent, that is very much, um, you know, viable and sustainable and developmental in nature to, to the, in the African context. So this is what we get from the philosopher of Pico. He had a philosopher to say, African, you are beautiful as you are. You have the capability. You have the ability. If you are accorded the chance, equal opportunities as your white counterpart, you will perform and probably do much better than your white counterpart. So this is the philosophy that drives each and every um, child that is conscious of their blackness, you know, this black consciousness that we need to be masters of our own destiny, the determiners of our fate, not to be dominated, not to be led, not to be to have a path that is designed for us. And we just being uh, 
part of the game of chess, watching from the terraces. No, we need to be part of the game and part of the of the of the game until the end, and to be co to be partnered in the development of Africa, so to speak, to be partnered in everything that happens, to be partnered in 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 the development of our communities, not to be to have prescriptions given to us, which we then follow as orders that are coming from so-called masters uh, in another continent. So Biko was saying, regardless as human beings, considers as human beings, we we can think, we have the brains to think, and by virtue of him being very much competent to the point of being enrolled for for med for a medical medical uh, program. It means he had the capabilities to say so. No one could deny his capabilities. And by virtue of him going to a tertiary institution, that gave him some sort of influence over 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 his 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 people, be it in the townships, be it the closer people themselves, be it uh, Africans in general, because this system did not allow Africans to excel because it made sure that they were incapacitated to excel from the very foundations of the educational system. Remember, it was a Pantotan education that was designed to oppress, deprive, and keep blacks where they were under the, um, the bottom of the feeding trough, whilst it allowed their white counterparts to excel. So we, we can learn a lot from this ideology and we can even apply it. Remember it did not begin with him. He borrowed the idea also and some of the strategies from the American black conscious movements of, of his time. And remember during his time 1966 when he, he, he got enrolled in varsity, that's when um, a, a, a black American, uh, uh, African Americans who were in, in, in the US were fighting for their rights as well in the in the in the United States of America, the same country that uh, uh, seems to be the proponent of human rights, was depriving depriving blacks of their rights uh, in in America. So we find that influence also uh, gaining sway and traction with Steve Biko as he resonates and learned some of the issues, some of the strategies, and some of the tenets. Black consciousness from that context as well. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I think people don't like to study history uh, because of the, because particularly okay in the United States, the issue of uh, the critical race theory has come up again and again, and uh, some people don't want mm -hmm. it to be taught in school. Let's try to evaluate what has been happening in the name of race in this country, because they don't want mm -hmm. people to see this horror that have been committed. Now, imagine that we take up a debate of, on, the, on, on, on the death of, because we're going to talk about the death of Steve Biko just now, uh, on mm -hmm. why they have to kill him. What did he stand for? That he was looking for, he was asking for a just society. That is why a system killed him. Okay, at this time, we're not even talking of 1,000 years ago. This is something that happened recently. Mm -hmm. What did other agencies in the world do? Why did, they, why did they not support if they are actually for justice? Of course, again, we are talking of just this. We cannot get justice from the international system. Africans, we need yeah. to understand that. But since they are talking of justice, the Amnesty International, Vatican, for example, they have a lot of power. 
What did they do to the South African oppressive system so that there can be justice in that place? And of course, all this will, be, will become natural questions that people will ask if we are talking of maybe the evil that have been committed. So it makes sense why they don't want to talk about race. Let's just forget the past and move on. Of course, we're not only really moving on. They are proposing something that they want us to study again from their lens. They want us to understand the reality from their end. They filter history and tell us what we mm -hmm. should know. But I think it is the responsibility of African people to choose what they must know because it is yes. there. Nobody is coming to help them. Nobody is coming to teach them anything that will lead to their value. If anything, if the teacher is coming from Europe, a European coming to teach Africa, remember that they are going to teach you how you are going to hate yourself and love them mm -hmm. the more. That is how it works. It has always worked like this. So mm -hmm. the question really I'm going to ask you is, um, what do you see as the major challenges that uh, Steve Biko faced at this time that perhaps, of course, lead to his death? Yeah, in indeed, um, he, he had a lot of challenges um, politically. He had a lot of challenges um, from his peers. Um, you, you know, the, the system was very much against um, that kind of trajectory that he was embarking on. And it really meant that for him to be able to embark on that kind of traje trajectory, he had to sacrifice certain issues, certain comforts, and um, he had to sacrifice even um, a time with, 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 with his family. He, it meant that embarking into this path that he was going into was embarking on a treacherous and dangerous path that would shorten one's life. And indeed, we see that his life was shortened. His life was shortened uh, by the so-called um, um, uh, system that upheld the rule of law. He died in detention at the hands of the, of the law enforcement agencies it was the, the police force of the time um, that tortured him, beat him to death, uh, causing a brain hemorrhage. Um, we, we, we find that, I, I personally see that he was one person who had um, given and made himself, he made a decision to pursue this path. He knew the dangers that came up with this kind of trajectory. Um, he had friends, he had peers. He, there were other political movements that were prevalent and active during his time. But I, I think the major challenge that he faced was the ideology, that um, uh, the ideological um, uh, 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 differences that he might have had with other leaders. Because some other leaders who were fighting for, for co-option, for legs to be regularized into, the, into that system, that apartheid system. But you find that uh, with Steve Biko, he was not fighting for blacks to be regularized into that oppressive system. He was fighting for the complete um, regard of the African person as a human being. And that meant that the status quo had to be changed. In other, in other words, that meant that psychologically, politically, ideologically, the, the black natives had to prepare for a situation whereby they're treated equally 
with the white counterparty. And that also meant that the white superiorist, supremacist, uh, domineering um, section of the community, and also to rewire, reconfigure their, their psyche and their psychology to be able to, to regard a fellow black person as a human being. And, and I think the major challenge there you find there is that um, the privilege, whenever privilege is threatened uh, with equality, the, the one who has been privileged regards that as, as segregation. You know, someone who has been privileged for a long time, if you tell them to be equal with others, they regard that as being discriminated, as, as being discriminated against because they now have regarded that privilege as a right. So those are, the, are some of the challenges, especially that were coming from, from um, uh, uh, his, his white liberal friends who were anti-apartheid and stuff. They wanted to co-opt blacks into a system, but co-opting blacks into that system meant that they continued to dominate blacks in their system. So they wanted to co-opt blacks into a revolutionary system, which they are the ones who are dominating. But in the first place, they were not the ones who were being segregated against. So, so how can someone who's a son of the, of the oppressor be, be in a position to understand oppression when they have never experienced oppression in the first place? So those are the kind of discourses that he had to. And also to debunk the fact that his movement was not against white people per se, but was against a system, white supremacy in particular. So to have that, that trade-off, to have that balance, uh, indeed was a challenge, apart from the political persecution that he, he had to go through, being detained more than four times, and uh, being tortured, being banned. He was banned in 1973 from the political space, and he had to work underground through writing, scripts, interviews, you, 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 you name it. So you find that he's asking for the system to be just, for the system to be fair, and the system tries to muzzle him by banning him from, from publicly, um, actively participating in a system that would, 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 would result in a just, peaceful, equal system. So we, we find that the, the so-called proponents of human rights, the so-called pro proponents of justice are actually anti-justice. Anti they, they are not against um, equality. They are for inequality because to them, justice and equality can only be justice and equality if it privileges them. If it is no longer gives them that privilege over the black man that dominates over the black man, be it ideologically, be it education-wise, be it financially or economically and politically, then it ceases to be justice to them because they feel that being equal to a black person is discrimination against them. I don't understand that kind of philosophy, that kind of mindset that the same people uphold and continue to propagate today. But um, despite all these challenges that we find that we being there, appear, happening, the persecution, uh, and also the general fear that was inculcated in the, in the general masses of the, Afri of the native Af Africans, we find him trying by all means to navigate that space through the use of the pain, 
he had to use his voice. When his voice was muzzled, he had to use the pen. He had to make sure he writes scripts that could be widely distributed. So we find him trying by all means to counter the machinations of, 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 of the oppressive regime. And to a great extent, he did succeed. And um, uh, we, we give it up to, to Steve Biko to, to, to being the icon of black consciousness uh, and the restoration of, of the rights and the dignity of the African natives in South Africa. He is the one who formed that basis. Indeed, his was more of a, a lonely battle, but indeed it was a successful battle. It was uh, on the 12th of September 1977 that Steve Biko died in detention in South Africa. That death, does it in any way, does it signify anything? Does it mean anything? Does it say anything about him and about the system that he tried to change? In, indeed. Um, but um, of course, it's, it's, it's lamentable that um, he, his, his, his death is not given or was not given that um, uh, is not being given that you know recognition that it so much deserves why because it bring it it, it opens a can of worms if, if we are to commemorate the death of steve biko and make it a, a prominent day of celebration of reconsideration of 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 of, of, of reconfiguration discourse and rethinking and engagement it calls to mind what then happened to the officers that killed Steve Biko in detention. Where were human rights when Steve Biko was arrested? What and where is the justice? Was it saved when Steve Biko was murdered in detention? And who murdered Steve Biko? Are the same people alive? By the way, the same people who murdered Steve Biko applied to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission for amnesty. <laughs> for them to be given that amnesty, of course, the amnesty was later on uh, denied, probably on basis of uh, realizing that it would not be con a convenient thing to do. But if you really want to consider what, what happened to, to, to the same people, nothing. So they went away with murder. They were given... Uh, they, they, would, they just did whatever they did to Steve Biko with impunity. Probably they knew and understood that they could, they could, they could get away with that uh, by, by, by virtue of them being uh, uh, white. Because the white officers, police officers, were made at Steve Biko on the 12th of September 1977. And he was later on, he was found, he was shackled, he was cuffed, and he was naked. They could not even have the decency of clothing a, 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 a suspect. They dehumanized him to the extent of having him naked in his death. This is the kind of system that we're talking about. This is the kind of uh, justice system that was that was so much upheld and 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 supported by by a colonial white supremacist regime in South Africa uh, during the time of the death of Steve Biko. The people who did that to him uh, have, have gone on with their lives, they've enjoyed and they've continued to enjoy white privilege. Um, yet we lost an icon and no justice was served for Steve Biko.
We hope that one day, a day will come uh, when the natives will realize and understand the circumstances surrounding the death of Steve Biko and be able to be shaped in terms of their political and ideological uh, framework in order to be able to shape their destiny, the destiny and their future uh, later on, be it in the education sector. These are the things that we need to be having learned and studied by, by, by our natives. But um, unfortunately, most of our curriculum is, is imported from the West. Our curriculum is imported from EU and, and, and the US. And if it's not ratified by the same oppressive evil colors and oppressive masters, then it's, it's considered inferior in nature. Uh, and and, and it, it's quite lamentable that we have so many technocrats, we have so many learned people, professors, who have not gone to the extent of clamoring and making the right noises in order to decolonize the educational system so that this history can indeed be embedded in the minds of our young people, that the struggle has not ceased. We still have a struggle that continues, a struggle against the, the, the dominance of the African child by those with less pigmentation who are benefiting and have their civilization being funded and sustained by our oppression here in Africa. Thank you for that. Uh, I was thinking while you were um, sort of asking a, a rhetoric question, uh, I think you were asking a question of um, the people who key Steve Biko in prison. What is the justice? What is the justice? And you were also uh, giving a picture there of him being uh, uh, key that he was naked there. I will try to imagine this symbolism. Uh, is it that maybe they are trying to send a message to the rest of the, the Black South African that I am nullifying what Steve Biko was saying? Because, okay, Steve Biko was talking about the humanity of the people the respect of the people. And now they killed him, dehumanizing him, removing humanity from him, making him naked. Do you think that could possibly be a message that they are sending? They're not making a mistake? In, 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 indeed. They, I, think, I, think, I think you need, we also need to appreciate the fact that um, uh, these oppressive um, imperialist uh, regimes and systems operate on, on precedents. They, they set precedents, they set examples. And um, when, it came, when it came to Steve people, they were sending a message to the African natives, to the South Africans in, in, in general and Africans in particular, that if you try by all means to oppose this system, our system, this is your fate, number one, this is how we're going to treat you. We're going to make sure that we make an example of you. And um, going to the, to the, to, 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 the, to, the, to the extent that his war, his, his activism, Steve Biko was not militarily trained. Steve Biko did not have any weapons. Steve Biko did not fire a bullet. Steve Biko did not engage in any forms of sabotage, be it economic, political, or militarily. Steve Biko never, never killed a human being. Steve Biko never touched any human being, but the fight, they understood that where Steve 
Biko was bringing the fight, he was bringing it where it starts and where it will end, in the mind. The moment you free the mind of an African, the moment you make the African realize that he doesn't need to be subservient and, and subordinate to, to a white person in order for them to succeed, that's the end of white uh, civilization, that is the end of white privilege. So in order to make sure that they make him an example, to make sure that they treat him like that, dehumanize him, violate his human rights, and make sure that they beat a, a man who is handcuffed. You know, when, when, when you ill-treat a man who is helpless in that state, it shows the callous nature of, 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 of the callous nature of the people who were dealing with him. He was, he was shocked. He was immobilized, he was outnumbered, he was unarmed, he was unarmed, they were armed, he was alone, there were many, he had no resources, they had the resources, he had no bullets, they had the bullets, they were privileged, he was not, they were free, he was oppressed, they were empowered financially by the system. He was not. And, 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 and they were clothed. He was naked. He was tied. They were free and they beat him to death. Only because there is one thing that he had which they, do not, they did not have. He was ideologically mentally free. And they were ideologically mentally enslaved. So they could not do anything to pluck out the ideology and the philosophy of black consciousness. The slogan of black is beautiful. They could not take it out from his mind. And they resorted to their second nature, which is murder, murderous, oppressive, and evil. And they murdered him, a helpless man. But they thought that by murdering him, that would be the end, and by making him an example, that would be the end of the black conscious movement. But like Nelson Mandela later on said, his death was the spark that lit a failed fire across South Africa. Indeed, by dying, he conquered, and by dying, he lit the fire. And by killing him, they, they sealed their end, and indeed, the struggle still continues. And time will come when truly everyone will become ideologically free, ideologically decolonized, ideologically emancipated, to understand that we must treat each other as peers and not be having uh, the Europeans dictating to us when it comes to our economics. And we, we tend to see that the geopolitics um, around the world now at the current moment with the, your, the war between Ukraine and Russia is doing us a favor as Africans. We no longer buy that ideology and that propaganda that emanates from Washington but we, we, and, and the EU, but we can see things for ourselves. We are beginning to see that the world is gravitating towards a decolonized mindset whereby the civilization of the Western world will not be sustained by the oppression of Africa in particular. And um, indeed, that example that they set 
overstate because it did work for a time. I think it did shape to a certain extent the ideology of the movements that later on came because they were they were afraid and we still see the same happening that there is still that fear of 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 really addressing the issues that really matter when it comes to the South African context. The South African people were they 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 they, they were depossessed of their land, depossessed of their livestock, disproportionately underprivileged. And they are, the, the leadership is scared to face the bull in the horn, the, the, the bull in the eye, and to take the bull by its horns. And we see that they are scared to, to label uh, uh, white foreigners as foreigners. And, and, and anything foreign is, 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 is regarded and is ascribed and relegated to label an African who is native to Africa, who is in his uh, motherland. And we see the same uh, happening in terms of the economics, we see the same happening in terms of the of, of, of the education system. We see the same happening in terms of the political landscape. Of in as much as a few might try to 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 address those issues, you see this general fear of being made an example prevailing within within our our our, our political formations and political movements of the day. But I I I, I see that. Um, the, the 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 ideological decolonization of the minds of many African natives is is taking center stage now and it is gaining traction and it's a positive uh, move um, that we can observe at the moment. But still, the spirit of people lives, the ideology lives, and you can never do anything to an, an ideology. You can never kill an ideology. You can never kill a philosophy. Never. And we see that we continue to take the banner and moving forward. We will be the determiners of our destiny, we will be the shapers of our destiny, and we will be the shapers and the owners of our future. And the time is nigh, and the time is come, and it's on the horizon. The sun is about to set, and the sun is going to rise for the African child to excel, to overtake, and to conquer their destiny. It's only a question of time. And the message of Steve Biko goes home uh, the African people must understand this. The South Africans must understand this. Now, what is his legacy? We are talking about his life and legacy. What is his legacy today among the African people? The legacy that we find is that um, there is nothing wrong with one being African. There, there is nothing wrong with one having short hair. There is nothing wrong with one being very much melanized as we are. There's nothing wrong um, with our being, our nature. We are Africans and black is beautiful. The, the, the legacy that we find is that we need to make sure, we need to see, we need to view the African in his dignified state in his right state, where he is accorded his respect, which he does not demand, but is owed to him by virtue of him being a human being, by virtue of him having an inalienable right, as rightfully put by the American Constitution, that says all men are created equal. That is, not, that is natural. It is not accredited or determined by anyone else 
but by virtue of all of us being human, we were created equal. And the African must be created equal. The African must be approached, be it in our investment, be it in our political sphere, be it in all our engagements as peers, not as puppets. We need to make sure that in all our engagements, we are not dominated, we are not dominated, but we engage as partners, as collaborators. And this is the legacy that we get, a legacy of equality. And, and we never fight other races by virtue of them being different from us. No, but we need to make sure that we assert our rightful place on the African continent and also on the world scale, that we are all equal. And whatever engagements that we do must be mutual, not in the spirit of domineering and dominating others by, by another. This aspect of one man dominating another is what Steve Biko fought for. It is not an idea that started with him, no. It is an idea that came before him. It is an idea that grew after him. And it is an idea that will conquer after him in the very end of time. It's a matter of time and we eventually will get to see it being realized in our societies, in our communities, in our economics, in our engagements, in our political space, in our security, that all men are created equal and there is no other man that should dominate another man. And we, we, there is no race that must be dominating another race. We must be treating each other fairly, equally, and whatever we do must be done so equitably, equally, with all justice and fairness. And I don't think that this is a very difficult thing to ask. That's true. That's true. Anybody that is asking for fairness in a society should be supported and should have been supported. But of course, we can see that he wasn't supported. He was disgraced. He was dehumanized, which is actually uh, symbolically looked as um, this is the way they see Africans. This is the way they treat Africans. This is the way they mm -hmm. want to treat Africans. And mm -hmm. this is the way that they believe is the right to is the right way to treat African people. So it is not a mistake. I say it again, they have the chance because you also you 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 make it very clear in your explanation. They have the chance to be able to treat it as a human being, but they decided to treat him the way they treated him. That was their choice. It was the way they believe Africans should be treated, and this is what. Steve Biko was fighting against. So now it is up to the African people. Is that how you want to be treated? Or do you think you can do anything about it? Steve Biko is dead, it is gone. The fight is yours if you are alive. The European in Africa, the apartheid European in Africa, or the set of European and Western criminals who are taking away the right of the African people at least have showed you how they want to treat you. The choice is yours. Mm -hmm. If you want to be treated that way or you want to stand your ground, because until you stand your ground, you don't even have any ground at all. Mm -hmm. Now, if you were to draw uh, maybe two or three lessons for Africans or for the people who 
who think it is right to do the right thing. Because I think the fight for Steve Biko is not just only for African, it's for humanity. Yes. If you were to draw out three lessons from him, what would that be? The first lesson is that we need to understand that we are all human beings and what we require others to regard in us automatically mandates us to regard the same in others. And uh, we need to treat each other equally, fairly and equitably. Um, that's the very first major lesson. And then uh, the other two lessons, I would then think that they need to be applied, so to speak, in our current circumstances, that in our political sphere, we also need to treat each other with dignity, with the fairness that we so much desire. In other words, if Europe feels that it is their right to determine the destiny of Europe without interference of Africa, then Europe must also understand that it is the right, the basic right of Africa to determine the destiny of Africa without the interference of Europe. Europe cannot be the arbiters of democracy, the arbiters of human rights to Africans, for their track record proves otherwise. It proves that they are never for uh, human rights, they are never for democracy, they are never for fairness, they are never for equality. They are for exploitation, oppression, and dehumanization of the African child. And I, I would also want to say to those who are, you know, following the discussion that the, 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 the few whites who dehumanized Steve Biko, the few whites who ripped clothes off from Biko and beat him, tortured him whilst he was naked until death, they do not represent the entirety of the white community in the world today. We have progressive white people who understand that Africans must determine their destiny as Africans. And uh, Africans must be given the right to choose for them to be Africans. This is exemplified in the, in the colonial struggle of all African countries. The most uh, predominant countries that we see that uh, uh, have this ideology of regarding other human beings as human beings. And, uh, and in this case, we see Russia is the one that trusted Africans with weapons to defend themselves and protect themselves and to fight for their freedom. And we owe it to those progressive whites like the Russians that indeed they are people who understand that humans are humans and all men were created equal. They are against the exploitation of the other by another. And they are the proponents and the pushers of true freedom as we know it today in our African context. Well, without their political support, without their military support, we wouldn't have been able to free ourselves from the shackles of political, economic, and cultural domination that we are subjected to by, uh, by the countries that we see in the European Union and the US for that matter. So we need to in indeed understand also that the third lesson that we get from Steve Biko is that independence can only be true independence when it's truly embedded in the mind 
Well, in the mind, that's where you get the, the, the strategies. From the mind, that's where you get the ideology. From the mind, that's where you get the philosophy, which then drives your economics, which then drives your politics, which then drives your culture, which then drives your education. And a truly educated, truly, truly decolonized, and truly empowered, and truly freed African is a, indeed a free African. Thank you. I appreciate it, Dr. Leslie. Now, uh, do you have a final thought? Do you have anything to add to it? Uh, because it has really been very rich, the, the conversation. I really have learned a lot, and I believe those that are listening have learned a lot. What would be your conclusion? My conclusion, I would conclude uh, by quoting this uh, um, a statement by Steve Biko that he said himself verbatim. He says, the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. Indeed, what it basically means is that the potent weapon that the European has in, in oppressing the African is the colonized mind of the African. The moment an African decolonizes his mind, that's the moment the oppressor ceases to wield and have and possess a weapon to continue the same oppression. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. That is a powerful message. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate and review Obehead podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obehead A14. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you in the next episode.